Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 47, Hardball, from 2001. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And back with us today, we have our very special guest, Tobin Addington. Hello, Tobin. Hey, good to be back. Thank you. Good to have you back. And you'll be back again. We have a three-podcast stretch of Matrix things coming up the next three. And you're back immediately with Something's Gotta Give. So not too long (laughs) before you're talking Keanu again. Nice. Can't wait. So the most interesting thing about this movie, to me, is I don't know whether the movie is hardball one word or hardball two words, because <laughs> it shows up as both in so many different places. That's also a way of saying that this movie is bad, you shouldn't watch it, <laughs> yeah. and we're going to talk about that, but I don't know whether to write this as one word or two words, and for that to be the most interesting thing about it is kind of a, a telling sign. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the least of this movie's problems, to be quite honest with you. Um, It is kind of funny how long the actual credits go on for at the beginning of this. It was making me dizzy. But yeah, I wrote it as one word. I think it works better that way. Um, So if you really need a definitive (laughs) point to that, I'm, I'm sticking with that. All right, we'll go with one word. That's the definitive Keanu Club stance. I've never seen this one before. Have you guys seen this movie before? I've not seen it. I remember when it came out, and I remember people saying, hey, you should watch this movie, Hardball. <laughs> it's actually pretty good. And I have sort of a soft spot for like kids' sports movies, So, uh-huh. I, I, but for whatever reason, I, I never got around to it. I had seen parts of it. This was a movie that I think was on cable all the time, and so my dad was always watching it, because this is definitely the kind of movie that like a dad... I mean, I know... Tobin's a dad, but you're also like, this is not meant to be an insult, but I think of you as like a film guy and then a dad. Like, my dad is uh-huh. a, he's, he's not discerning in terms of film, so he'll just sure. watch whatever. It's a, it's a very dad movie, I feel. Look at these kids having fun, like, look at these sassy, wise, cracking kids and Keanu being like a dad to them. So he was watching it all the time, so I remembered, spoiler alert, that G-Baby got killed, R-I-P-G-Baby. and I remembered the Big Papa <laughs> music, them singing to him. I didn't remember when I saw the kid with the headphones, but then as soon as they said what song it was, I was like, oh, right, that shoehorned them thing. I remember all of that now. <laughs> I'd never seen this before, but I knew at some point they were going to have to sing that song to the kid. The entire team was going to yeah. be singing it for him. Like, that moment yeah. had to happen. I see some ladies tonight that should be having my baby. Baby. I love the way you call me Big Pop. As, you know, close listeners to Keanu Club might notice, I'm not, I haven't been a big sports film guy, but I've sort of 
now am, I guess, because of, of doing <laughs> sports films for podcasts. Seen a bunch of them, yeah. Yeah, and then just research and stuff. Like, I, I grew up with Bad News Bears, so that's my bar, and that's a high bar, I've come yeah. to realize. This is no Bad News Bears. I mean, it tries to be, but it just, we'll talk about sort of the tone that it goes for as, as opposed to the one it should reach. And I most recently watched the Mighty Ducks trilogy, which is a really solid trilogy of films, to be quite honest. Like, I really like those movies. So um, maybe I should have watched those after Hardball instead of in preparation for Hardball. But <laughs> I feel this wants to be part of that genre and just doesn't have the same sense of fun as those movies did for me. I think the important thing to mention up top is that this is a movie where Keanu Reeves, in massive gambling debt, his character, coaches a little league baseball team because some guy will pay him $500 per week to be their coach. That's the premise. It just so happens that they're in downtown Chicago. The entire team is young black kids. And so this is sort of a fish out of water for Keanu that he's in this world that he knows nothing about. The film is directed by a white guy. The screenplay is written by a white guy. And the nonfiction book that this is based off of which I'm sure is probably really interesting, which I have not read, is also written by a white guy. And it just feels like it's a white man's perspective. And this is coming from a white guy who really, you know, maybe shouldn't speak like this, but like really seems like a white man's perspective on what black kids playing baseball would all be about. Yes, this feels like, and again, we, we do have to stipulate we are three white dudes uh, you know, <laughs> talking about the problematic racial content in Hardball. But, you know, the vision of the inner city here reminds me of some people's sort of stereotype of the inner city. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, you're totally right. It sounds like this is some middle-aged white man's interpretation of what it must be like to live in and for the way the kids speak, the whole the whole thing. It feels sort of like appropriated and then given back through them in a very sort of odd and and, and quite distasteful way, actually. Yeah, I was pretty shocked by that, to be quite honest. I didn't quite understand, like, the premise. Like, everything is just, it starts out so dark and serious. Like, we, I ran into this same problem with The Replacements, where that starts with a player strike. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be a serious movie. And no, it turns into, you know, a goofball comedy. And here, like, it's going to start serious and try to stay there. And I think that's what I had the most issue with, is, like, right out of the gate, Keanu's a chain-smoking, gambling degenerate and for some reason he's got some rich friend that sponsors him to get him back on his feet all the time and that guy just so happens to sponsor this little league team from the projects like everything just seems so not set up to be a comedy and then when the kids are introduced it wants that so bad like it really tries to go for that but the tones just aren't gonna shift I feel like the serious tone is set way too strong there and then all the other issues too with yeah this this white guy trying to feel better by being a father figure to all these underprivileged black kids and i don't know why it couldn't just be about a guy who lived in the actual projects taking over the team and coaching it and there would certainly be more diversity there too i feel like it wouldn't just be black kids i just feel like it would be more diverse anyway but there's a whole lot of issues going on here 
yeah, it's true. You know, you have sort of a, a white savior tale, right? Because the two yep. the two people who are saving, quote unquote, saving these kids who sort of from themselves are Keanu Reeves and Diane Lane, who plays the kid's teacher and Keanu Reeves' sort of love interest. And so you have these two very, very white characters who are rescuing these kids, you know, because they can't, because they can't, they or their community cannot save themselves. And and this doesn't take away from the from whatever might be true in the book of this experience. I didn't look it up to see if it was a memoir or anything. Maybe you guys know. I think it was written by a journalist. I think it's sort of like a, he here's a summer in the life of kind of thing. You know, the thing I would compare it to then that way is the Friday Night Lights film. And, and to some degree, the TV show. That's one of the best nonfiction books yes. that I've ever read. And it gets into sort of the racial politics in a very interesting way and isn't, you know, doesn't sort of pretend to be about a savior, even though at the heart of it, you have this white coach and, and white kid, really, the, uh, in terms of the movie. But it's just much more sort of successful in unpacking all that stuff. This movie doesn't really unpack anything. It's not really interested in anything. But, but certainly there's not a nuanced take or really even, I think, a full understanding of what it means to sort of have these two white characters rescuing these, these African-American kids. When I was watching this movie, I didn't think about Friday Night Lights, but I think that's a good example. I was thinking of the Michael Lewis, the Moneyball, the Blind Side, those oh, kind yeah. of things. Mm-hmm. Moneyball, I think, and we will watch it again maybe for something that's not a secret project, but something coming up on the Cage Club Podcast Network that Mike and I really have nothing to do with, which is kind of exciting. That's going to come up maybe again there. Moneyball, I think, is a really good movie. The Blind Side... I really liked. I think that's similarly, there's problems there because Sandra Bullock, again, is sort of the white savior. But that movie's at least entertaining. I don't know why this exists the way it does. (laughs) Because, like, the blind side, it's the same kind of problems. Look at this poor black boy. He's saved by this rich white family and he gets a future. At least that's, like, fun. Like, that's well made and that's, like, engaging. And here it's just like, oh, God, nothing makes sense. None of Keanu's motivations make sense. The kids don't really learn from him. Like, he sort of gives gives them one pep talk he's like hey stop talking shit and maybe you guys will get together and they're like oh yeah like good idea mister and they all become like best friends or like he takes them out for pizza and now they're just a team and maybe that's how it happens maybe the journalist who wrote the book saw them bond over a pizza dinner but the way that it's presented in this movie in like a pretty tightly wound hour 45 there's just no time for any characters to develop at all organically it's all just they all hate each other and they hate Keanu and Keanu hates them and now they all love each other and now Keanu's quitting <laughs> and now Keanu feels guilty and he's coming back and it's just why who cares why it's just we need to tell this story I think one of the issues is doesn't really it's not about the kids and it and I want it to be yes it's too much about Keanu. Like, why is he even coaching this team to make money? Like, there's a hundred other jobs he could do to make more money quicker to pay off his gambling debts. And he just ends up gambling his way out of his debts anyway. So that right, just becomes right. like a non-issue at some point. It was just all very confusing. I don't know if this would have made the movie better or not. I think it would have made it feel more real. But apparently this movie was originally rated R and the kids were all way more profane. More and profane? I, these kids. More profane. Dude, these well, kids yeah, that's are the, that's fucking the thing. filthy, dude. I could that's I could not believe this. Hey, I'll kick your ass. Hey, 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 cool it. Cool it. Cool it. What's going on? All right, let me break it down to you right quick. Andre say he catch any apple ball anybody can throw. Coffee say that's bullshit. You a buster. Andre say roll up, bitch. Coffee say I'll give you all my gun if you catch this ball. He threw the ball. Andre called it. Andre say pay me my money. Coffee say you do a cheating bitch. No way. Coffee say you a motherfucker. Okay, I got it. 
That's it. Like, who's this for, even? You can't yeah. take kids this age to see this movie, and we're not going to take dates to this thing. Uh, <laughs> right. You know? It's just weird. It just exists in sort of a nowhere land. Apparently, they all were using the F word a lot, and that was all dubbed over. Because I, I can see that, that happening in real life, but it's this weird, like, how do you want to portray the inner city, right? And, like, have this kid be terrified to walk home every day, which is really sad. Like, the way that they portray it, it's like the corner is populated by everybody buying all of the drugs all of the time. You know, he walks home at like 6 o'clock or something, and there's just a 100 people outside his building. It's such a heightened everything, and nothing feels real when there's just better ways to do it. Yes, you know, if it had been real, right? Like, if you're if you're going to do, you know, the Friday Night Lights treatment to this movie, or even, as you say, the blindside treatment to this movie, or invest in the kids more. You invest in, in their reality, not in the sort of, like, shorthand gangbangers just running around shooting. You take these projects and you put them next to the ones in The Wire. Now, I'm not suggesting that this movie should be The Wire. Like, it's not, it's not supposed to be that kind of movie. <laughs> it wants to but, be, at points. But, but part, of, part of it wants, right, right. Part of it wants to be, right? Or even, or even you think back in the 90s, Boys in the Hood and Menace to Society, and there's a string of that kind of thing that this movie just sort of, it's as though this movie was made by people who had not met real people, but just were making movies based on other movies. Like, it just sort of seen a bunch of movies and sort of slap all that stuff together and call it its own thing. So things feel fake and they feel unmotivated and it's sort of, it's disinteresting. I don't think they're, they don't know that they're being racially problematic. I think it's just sort of <laughs> just happening out of some sort of lack of intellectual curiosity. And, you know, it's just, and I don't know what the excuse is for it being so boring, but it really is, right? Like it's a very, very dull movie. Yeah, I think they're basing it off the wrong movies or they're watching the wrong things for inspiration. Like, I wanted this much more to be like a Sandlot or something like that, you yes, know, or yes. if if you're going to do a Keanu thread, make the teacher one of the children's moms. And then that way you have sort of like yes. a wrap to tie everything around in. Like he gets closer to one of the kids. He's getting closer to the mom. He's feeling more of like, like he's staying over at the projects. Like, you know, yes, something yes. deeper. There's ways to do that you don't need John Hawks in this as much as he's in it as much as I love him <laughs> you just don't like you just don't need all this stuff hanging out and paying off the bookies and I feel like that could have been there but dealt with a lot better I just needed more time with the kids here what's interesting to me and you reminded me I think what Tobin reminded me is that we have here white people thinking they can write for black people or you know like a lack of intellectual curiosity I feel like it's the same type of problem we've had with earlier Keanu movies where we have adults writing high school dialogue that does not feel like it ever existed in high school anywhere ever. That the problem is they're trying to write for like 10 year old black kids or trying to write for Keanu as a high school senior. But just like if you write those people as people instead of as like these characters, it's going to feel more real as opposed to being like, well, how would they say this? Like just write it how you would say it or write it how like a normal person would say it and then let the actors do their job and put a twist on it and bring that to screen yeah that's another issue is that there's no real 
separating any of these kids because they're all just cursing all the time. It would have been a little helpful if maybe there was like the smart one or the silent one and maybe a girl on the team. But instead, we get the one kid with the headphones that needs to hear the Biggie Small song every time he pitches. He's like the only one with any sort of personality trait or quirk or something to stand out and then you have g-baby who's you know he's great i love g-baby um (laughs) but that's it really everybody else just feels like the same somewhat even michael b jordan a very young baby creed noticed him (laughs) that was cool too and i was expecting you know maybe him to shine somehow i mean he does have unfortunately he i feel like he meets one of the darker fates of the children in this film ends up a gangbanger forced off the team because he's like what like a month too old like that is yeah. they, two weeks two, two weeks, weeks too old. like they take this shit so fucking seriously man i mean it's just baseball it's forget about little league it's just baseball they're just supposed to have fun but the other coaches are like serious nazis about it and shit yeah. and like they're just not giving any kind of relief to keanu they're just it's too intense for me i need to have more fun watching this movie the other thing about the league is that every team name is named after an African tribe, which... Oh, oh which, no. Why? So the first time they say the Cucumbas, but the kid says it like it's Cucumbers. I'm like, are they the Cucumbers? Like, that doesn't make any sense. That's kind of like a cute team name. And then I see it's the Cucumbas, and like you see the other team name, and it's all like in this like African print. And I looked up on the IMDb trivia, and I was just like, oh, God. Even if that's based on real life, be a little bit more sensitive it's like they, they didn't show this to anyone yes. who was like, uh, do you think that maybe we shouldn't do that? <laughs> Nobody had that kind of oversight on this movie. They're just like, here's a bunch of white people making the movie. Like, let's just go out and do it. Now, as I look up the description of the book, and I should have done it before, but it appears to be not about a Keanu Reeves character. Like they mentioned, there are some white coaches, but it's all about the kids and their backgrounds right. and their life. And they're very sort of difficult, painful young adolescents, pre-adolescents in the inner city in Chicago. So that means they invented all of the Keanu Reeves stuff. Now, part, so part of the problem is that you create this character and you and you make the central problem of the movie in terms of, you know, for him personally, are his gambling debts, which, as you say, evaporate three quarters of the way through the movie. But you make that the thing we're supposed to be, oh, this poor guy, he's going to get beaten up and maybe killed by these guys. Meanwhile, according to the book, these kids are dealing with imprisonment and shootings and AIDS and, you know, like ter- <laughs> terrible things. And so it minimizes their yep. issues. I want to see the other version of this movie. There's that one scene where Keanu walks the kid home and he's like, why is everyone sitting on the floor? And even I was like, dumbass. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Like, you hear the gunshot walking by the baseball field. Like, what do you mean? It was just very heavy handed when it needed to be more sensitive the entire time, right? Like, that's where I feel it's like, okay, now we have to sort of like stop the movie and remind everybody, like, just how bad it is here for these kids. Okay, all right, we got that. All right, now back to Keanu for like another 15 minutes wallowing. <laughs> right, exactly. And by the way, you should all feel better because Keanu's here teaching his kids how to play baseball and everything's going to be fine. <laughs> right? Like that's the that's the thing that the movie sort of goes to. And so you say, oh, this is terrible. This is awful. These, And they're like, oh, but it's okay. It's, they got baseball and they got Keanu, they got Diane Lane. No problem. But like at the same time, like he's not teaching them anything. No. <laughs> that's right. No. And that's, that's what's crazy. It's like, it's almost like they want him to somehow have something to redeem by the end of it. But it's like, no, he's just a 
dick until he decides like he doesn't have to gamble anymore, right? As soon as he's out of debt, he's like, okay, I can spend time with the kids and take them to the baseball game and like be their coach and hang around them. But it's like only because he's there do they win. It's not like we see them like practicing and getting better or anything like that. We never see them get better. This is not a movie about hard work, you know, and perseverance and sacrifice, sort of, and working as a team, lifting you up. We never see any of that. They just, they just get better. It's just <laughs> cut to, they can play baseball, right? Cut to, oh, he can pitch. It just happens. That's not what people go to sports movies for. You go to sports movies to see, you know, to see Rudy, right? To see somebody who's down on, on his luck, who should not be able to succeed. And then you watch them try to win and either win or not but the point is them trying and this movie is not interested in in any of that it's not sort of working as a sociological depiction of life of these inner city kids it's not working as a character study for either the kids or Keanu Reeves and it's not working as a freaking baseball movie with like it's not working in in any in any of those ways I'm getting madder about it as we talk about it if they want this to be serious and they want this to be about the Keanu character, I mean, make him a coach for an inner city high school team. And he has is like has to go replace yes, yes. the last coach. And it's sort of like a dangerous minds meets, you know, right. Uh, Hoosiers. Right? right. And you, right. you do that because these kids, it feels like they want to be high school kids to yes. me, like this movie. Like it, that's the tone I'm getting from the start is that this is PG-13. This is going to be for teenagers. Uh, it's going to star that age group. And then when we get to it, it's these super duper minors, you know, like 10 year olds, yeah. right? Is that what they are? 10, 11? So I, I mean, I feel like there is definitely a way to do this right if they want to keep this dark tone, but I would rather just it be the Sandlot. Because this is a movie, keep in mind, where the pivotal moment is that the cute kid on this team gets shot and killed. Like, that's what this movie is building to the entire time, that this kid who basically is too little to play, that he finally gets one at-bat. We don't even see his at-bat until after he dies, until Keanu is remembering him and giving his eulogy at his funeral. Jarius was a player on the Cucumbas baseball team that I coach. The other day... We played a really important game against a good team. And two outs in the last inning, I had no choice but to let Jarius bat. With two strikes and our hopes dwindling, he hit a shot down the first baseline and won the game. And watching him raise his arms in triumph as he ran to first base, I swear, I was lifted in that moment to a better place. I swear he, uh, he lifted the world in that moment. He made me uh, a better person, even if just for that moment. I am uh, forever grateful to Jarius for that. And saying like, oh, gee, baby, like, Jarius or Gar like it's some it's a name that they've never said in that movie up to that point, and he's just suddenly referring to this kid by a name other than G Baby, 
and they show him going up to bat, and then that, like, Nazi of a coach that Mike said comes out of the dugout, just like, he's not on our list, and then sees the kid, he's like, oh, he's fine, and he maybe, like, wins the game for them, and apparently they win the championship. We don't see in the movie until the closing credits, when we see, like, still images of them holding up the trophy. What is happening? (laughs) That it's this depressing downer of an ending, but luckily the dead kid came through the big hit and, like, won the ship for the team, and so now we're all supposed to go home happy like it's the weirdest downer upper of an ending it's so true that is just some of the most questionable editing i've seen in a film my entire life (laughs) you know when he's like gee baby you're up and then it just fades to black and it (laughs) fades back up and he's and keanu's like all right i'll see you guys at practice and he drops them off at the projects and then that's when they run into michael b jordan and and you know he's with the crew he's wearing all black now and he like looks very menacing and they can't go in because some deals going down and then they get caught in the shootout then at the eulogy they cut back right as he's talking about (laughs) g-baby then they show him go at bat like it's so awkward i can't even explain it how awkward it is but it was jarring and i was just my arm instead of feeling any kind of emotional impact that resonated from that like if they had just played it in order perhaps you know like a normal movie would have done (laughs) maybe i would have felt something for that moment but instead i'm just confused again and my arms are in the air for like four or five whole minutes (laughs) it's too bad because it takes all the air out of what would have just probably played you know if they had just ran it in order i don't know what the idea was behind that you know the other thing that would have made this a better movie is if it had been a tiktok expose of the making of the chris matthews cable show hardball This is probably the worst version of a movie called Hardball that you can ever see. Like, it just... Any idea you have is probably better than this. It's just... Well, even, like, trying to do... You know, it would be like... Imagine if they tried to make a narrative version of Hoop Dreams or something. Like, that's yes. almost what this feels like, right? Like, right, this... Right. If you really want to be like, look at this, you know, community, it needs help, like, make a documentary... You know, I would love to see that documentary about the Ghetto League or whatever it's called. I don't know. That's how they call it in this, I think. Right. That makes you cringe a little bit anyway. But, I mean, I would have, I would watch that. Doc- like, that would make sense to me as a documentary. Yeah, it's just, it's playing so awkwardly. Because <laughs> you guys also get the sense that it thinks it's funny, right? Like, at times, yeah. like, it's being, like, it thinks it's being clever. And it's like, let's have, like, a romantic comedy moment in the middle here. Like, because we right. can with the Diane Lane. And it's like, no, man, like, everything is just falling flat. The scene that I can't get out of my head is when Keanu somehow scrapes together, like, $12,000. I don't know where he gets his money from, but then he bets it all on the bulls and wins, covers, and then he runs into the bar, you know, he's doubled up his money, or maybe he has 6000 whatever. He has, well, he's got a lot of money now, <laughs> and he can pay off all of his debts. doesn't matter where he gets the money from, it doesn't matter how much he has, but he can now pay off all of his debts, you know, he has saved the day for himself, he has started at the bottom, and now he's at the top, and this is, you know, he's won this movie, and he comes into this bar, which is apparently silent, and then he <laughs> and John Hawks are singing Big Papa, acapella terribly I love it when you call me big pop throw your hands in the air if you're a true player I love it when you call me big pop you got a gun up in your waist please don't shoot up the place why because I see some ladies tonight that should be having my baby baby hey hey 
and he's just going around and hitting on women and kissing women. And I'm like, what is going on? And it reminded me, sort of, of the Mr. Show sketch, the white people co-opting black culture network. (laughs) I'm be chitting to chat with them right here in the present tense on the WPCPCN. You are watching the white people co-opting black culture network. How can we take the one thing that these kids have significance? Literally the only things that we know these kids like are baseball and this song. Yeah. yeah. And Keanu takes one of those two things and makes it his. And it's just, what are you doing in this moment? <laughs> I guess it's supposed to show, oh, these kids have changed him. They've become a part of him. Just terrible. Yes, it's it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That was kind of cringeworthy. I also wondered why he was betting. It was weird that, to me, I mean, I don't bet. I don't really follow sports, but he was betting on basketball. To me, this felt like a baseball movie, and they even go to a Cubs game at one point. Like, why not just have it, you know, keep it in the ballpark? Like, have him betting on a baseball game and keep it, you know, keep the theme running, even if it's out of character. Why did they keep bringing up the Bulls, the Bulls, the Bulls? The Bulls. The Bulls. The Bulls. So I think because at this time, you know, turn of the century, 2000, 2001, this is also another thing that really drives me crazy about this movie, that I know it's not this movie's fault, but they don't pay for the licensing for anything. Oh, okay. So you never see the actual bowls. <laughs> mm-hmm. The game that you're watching on TV, I looked up, is some high school or college championship game. Oh, wow. Or, you know, some like, you know, it's not NBA. They go to that quote-unquote <laughs> Cubs game, which they never say the Cubs, they just go to the baseball game. But Sosa's there. Sosa's there, yeah, which is bizarre. That was shot in Detroit. That is the Tigers' old stadium. Like, they don't have the rights to use any team names, any team... Or, I guess they say team name, but they don't have any logos, any of the players, whatever. Like, Sammy Sosa's just wearing his warm-up jacket in the on-deck circle because you can't see the Cubs logo. The most specific thing they get is when he's betting on the Bulls, and he says something like, Since Jordan left, the Bulls have never covered at home against Miami. And I'm thinking at this time... Well, like, when is this supposed to take place? Because Jordan won three titles, like, <laughs> 93, 94, 95, I think, and then he took two years off to play baseball, and then he came back to Chicago and played at least three more years because he won three more championships, so I'm not sure when this takes <laughs> place. I feel like the reason that they're betting on the Bulls is because that was the hot team at that time. Because the Cubs were terrible, the White Sox weren't good, yet the White Sox won the World Series a couple years later, but, like, and plus it's, I guess coming toward the playoffs in basketball, so there's buzz around it. That makes sense to me. Just, like, the whole timeline and everything and, like, the specificity, none of that adds up. You're assuming that they had any intention of playing... Of being of being real about any of this, Joey. It feels like the people who don't know what they're talking about being like, oh, no one, will, no one will notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you would think if you're making a sports movie, like, make your sports accurate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You you would think. Yeah, we ran into this with the replacements as well, where yeah. they didn't have the licensing. Oh, I, I can nitpick, nitpick that movie too. Yeah, and it sort of did. Yeah, it just. But that's at least fun. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, that movie's uh-huh. much better than this movie. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know if that's true. Well, it's, it's much funnier. Fun. <laughs> yes, yes. So, and therefore, it's better. It's got Favreau, who steals that film. The other thing, I don't know if you guys are familiar at all with this director. The director of Norbit, you mean? Yeah, not just the director of Norbit, but Varsity Blues and, like, Good Burger. I mean, lots of, like, Nickelodeon stuff. I mean, I knew him mostly from Head of the Class. Like, he's an actor also. Oh. Um, 
Yeah, he was like the Fonzie, and his best friend was sort of like the fat kid. I think that guy is also like on Keenan and Kel, like he's directed a lot of Nickelodeon stuff. So it's just weird that knowing his background, right, and that he would go on right. to do Norbit and meet Dave and be sort of what I would consider like a children's film director or and like a kid's like film a director. And he's also like a huge executive producer on Smallville and One Tree Hill, like like massive, like, you know, like... 200 episodes of Smallville. So, I mean, he's very well off, I'm sure. And also, this just doesn't seem in his wheelhouse. Well, it's about kids, though. It's about kids. The reason he gets this movie is because he had done Varsity Blues, which was a modest hit and a football movie about kids. He's good, quote-unquote, good with kids. So they give him this movie, right? I mean, the only life that there is in this movie is once in a while with the kids. Uh, and and it probably not because of the script or because of the way they're directed, or at least maybe he just lets them do their thing. Like I'm guessing that some that that some of the best things in the movie, <laughs> I use best you know with all the quotation marks that I can, come when the kids are are feeling feel very loose and and organic with the kids. So I'm guessing that's why he he got this movie. Interesting. It's interesting because, like I said earlier, Varsity Blues was a high school film, and like this would have worked better as a high school film. Or he could have just remade Wildcats or something, that Goldie Hawn movie. You know, like uh-huh. that's a yeah. that's a much better example of what I feel they're trying to do here. Like that movie, maybe it's because Goldie Hawn. You know, you know, you're rooting for her a little more than if it was a guy, I guess, right? right? right so right. the high school is more diverse too. I just feel like that movie knew what it wanted to do more. Well, this guy would go on, this director would go on to become the Eddie Murphy Whisperer and do Norbit and Meet Dave and A Thousand Words. And he would also direct this movie called The Perfect Score, which is a pre-Avengers team-up between Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson. So clearly this guy knows what he's doing behind the camera because, I mean, (laughs) all massive, massive hits. One thing I do want to point out about an on-screen person in this movie is the guy, it's the coach of the other team, Uh this guy Mark Robert Ellis. If you look at his IMDb, he's mostly known as like a sports coordinator for every sports movie. Like, I guess he like makes sure that the action looks authentic. But if you look at his acting, literally every movie he does is baseball coach, football coach, basketball coach. Like, that guy just looks like a coach. <laughs> and so I looked him up, and he apparently played college football and wanted to become a college football coach and then just decided to go to Hollywood instead. And, I mean, he's not a big part in this movie, but guy can nail the coach part, like, better than Keanu yeah. can. Like, he just comes out, like, with his, you know, lineup card or whatever. <laughs> He's just like, this guy's, oh, I see him here. And, like, he works. Like, he's kind of the most believable actor in this, which is stunning because you have people who are, like, professional actors. Coach, I guess that's it. I mean, the league says we can't start another inning after 6.30. Really? Well, yeah. It's, it's 6.37 now, and we're up 16-1. to 1. That's cool. Thanks. Good luck the rest of the way. He and Michael B. Jordan, and maybe that's only in retrospect. But yeah, you're, yeah, you're totally right. You're right. He like comes out and he's like, you know, it's getting late. We can't play another inning. And I just loved Keanu's response. He's like, yeah, all right, whatever. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. You want to call it? Sure, dude. You needed my permission for that? Like, it was just like he's got some pretty good reactions and, and looks and responses in this movie. That's the other thing that I wanted to mention as something that I thought was working here. There are a few times where Keanu, who looks like he's just sort of like, like strapped to the gurney through this movie, like <laughs> overwhelmed almost. Yeah, it's just like, what the hell have I got myself into? And then, and then it, once in a while, he'll have these little moments, like he walks in to get a check from this check he picks up each week from the investment bank or brokerage firm or something, where where it's never explained how he knows the guy that he got this <laughs> job from or what the hell's going on. But he goes to pick up this check, and this receptionist gives it to him, and he, he takes the check, takes a step away, and then like 
scares her, like pretends like he's an animal, goes rawr or something, and scares her, <laughs> right? And there's and then there's a there's a freak out he has at the ballpark before he takes the kids to the professional game. Uh, that was like Cage would have, like Nicholas Cage would have eaten that up. What now? Coach, we're just all in agreement. The kid can't wear headphones while he pitches. Now, Matt makes a good point about safety. Come on, you're kidding me, right? Think about it. What if he gets hurt because he can't hear in a dangerous situation? There's liability issues. Bring it in, fellas. Come on, bring it in. What are you doing? Bring it in. I want you guys to explain to them why they lost Jamal and why Miles can't wear headphones, and why the Boo-Wahs and the Wattas have nice uniforms, and we have shitty t-shirts. Now, easy, coach. You're already on a warning. Cucumbas, this is the president, and that is the coach of the goofiest team in the league. Hello. And they kicked Jamal off the team because he was born two weeks early, what? and now they're making Miles take his headphones off because he's pitching too good. Safety issue. Fellas, fellas, you have to understand that everyone has to follow the same rules. That's some weak ass bullshit, you bitch ass motherfucking busters. What did you say? I believe he said that is some weak ass bullshit. Was that it, G Baby? Yeah, let's see. So I started to imagine him in this movie. That's what I did this the last half of this oh. movie was imagine Nicolas Cage in this part. And if you just took this movie and you made it weird, like if you just let him be totally weird, it could have been actually pretty cool or not cool, but it would have been better and more interesting to watch at least because there are times when Keanu is doing those sort of freak out or strange, you know, he has, he has one where he's talking to this other coach and, and, and I think the president of the league or something. And he puts his hands up by his face, and like makes like a funny woohoo face at this guy, that sort of <laughs> stuff in the hands of another actor and maybe a director who was sort of more in tune with it could have really become something. I really want to know why he took this movie. Maybe he loved the book? Like, wh- why would you... <laughs> to work with Diane Lane, perhaps? But she's like, but she's barely in it. But he, I think that's some of his best work is when he's acting against <laughs> her in it. Because with the kids, like, I do feel like he seems a little in over his head. Like, they kind of are running the show a little bit. There's that one scene with her in the when he, when they meet and he thinks she's going to be some old nun and she turns out to be you know a young lady teacher and she opens the door and it like knocks him on the head and they kind of have like a cute little meet up there sister wilt i'm connor o'neill i want to talk to you about uh i'm sorry it's okay it's just my head who are you here to see sister wilkes i am miss wilkes do you teach here Yes. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I was just expecting a older woman. Oh well, I'm I'm not a nun. Thank God. <sighs> I mean, that's great. And then later he comes into the class and he's dressed up in those stupid clothes and he's talking about a wrinkle in time and all that. And they have that that whole thing and then one of the kids gets like super real and talk about how like Meg's stupid to think that her dad's ever gonna come back because like that's yep. what it's like to live around here it's just like whoa class dismissed <laughs> yeah I yeah. know that girl Meg is dumb she think her father come back from wherever that's stupid to believe in that girl and her mom is both tripping cause where I'm from do nobody father come back 
In a weird little bit of trivia, 20 episodes ago or so, we mentioned that Point Break and Bogus Journey came out on back-to-back weekends. Here, Diane Lane, this movie came out the same weekend as The Glass House, which also starred Diane Lane. So she had two movies come out this weekend, and this movie came in number one. So more people saw this than that. So congratulations, I guess? This movie came, this won the weekend? It won the weekend. Well, on what weekend? January 1st. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) The first weekend of January. (laughs) The dumping ground somewhere. This movie came out in September. Oh, wow. Okay. This movie came out three (laughs) days after 9-11. Okay. Ah, All right. And so the production budget was $32 million. It made domestically $40 million. It made another four million overseas, so it you know barely broke even if it even made money after marketing. Right. I'm pretty sure that anything that came out that month was just written off as a loss. There's just people aren't going to go to the movies like that. It won the weekend with nine million dollars. I just people yeah. weren't going to the they, like. Why would you go out? And the yeah. Glass House was number two, just a little under six million. But like also in theaters at that time was The Musketeer, Two Can Play That Game, The Others, Rush Hour 2, Jeepers Creepers, American Pie 2, Rat Race, Rockstar. Real rough stretch. Oh, Captain Crowley's Mandolin. <laughs> Go see that or Rat Race at least has a bunch. I like that. That's kind of a also throwback. Also The Princess too. Diaries. Oh, and the Mark Wahlberg Planet of the Apes. So, I mean, you have well, options. Well, don't see that. I mean, <laughs> but the problem with this movie is it's not uplifting, you know? Like, I no. could see, like, let's go see this movie. It's, like, I'm sure I got to go check out a trailer, but I would imagine it's marketed much more as, like, fun for the whole family. Oh, almost certainly. <laughs> yeah, and it isn't. It isn't even fun for one guy watching it by himself, let alone the whole family. No one wants to see, like, a little nine-year-old boy get shot in a drive-by at the end of a baseball movie. (laughs) I mean, this isn't the fan, right, with De Niro and Snipes where he, like, kidnaps his son and it's, like, a tense thriller. And It just feels like they didn't need to go there. Why did they go there? That made me think that what if you started this movie with the kid getting shot? That's the impetus that brings Keanu Reeves into the neighborhood because he thinks, oh, I can go take care of this. Like, I'll do my part. I'll whatever. And then gets in and discovers that, whoa, this shit is much worse than (laughs) this is a much rougher thing than I had thought. And like then it's like, okay, I got to back out. And then the kids rally. And, you know, like there's a way there's a way to sort of just restructure the story. Not after you shot it. You have to make a whole new movie, obviously. But there'd be a way to sort of to, to use that as some kind of jumping off point. In terms of the movie and it making its money, my guess is that when they sort of greenlit the movie, they figured that, look, even if the movie doesn't do terribly well, like it's a sports movie and sports movies generally do pretty well, especially with kids on VHS or DVD afterwards, and that that might have been their sort of calculation in terms of how the movie itself gets made. Like even if it's not right. good, kids will rent it, they think. Sure. That makes sense. I mean, I'm not gonna, um, I'm not going to rent it, but people, people, <laughs> people no, might. But I mean, we bought it, so I mean, they won in the end. I want to point out, we mentioned him earlier, John Hawks. He was in Freaked, apparently. He played Cowboy. Oh, we totally missed him, his credit in that, too. That's a great movie. Highly recommend Freaks, directed by Bill himself, Alex Winter. Yeah. There is also another movie, completely unrelated to Keanu Club, that came out recently, came out a year or two ago, called Too Late with John Hawks. I think it's on Netflix now. That's really great. I, I would say check that out because he's he wants to be good in this movie. He just doesn't like there's nothing like his character is so yeah. weird. Like His character is kind of like the most one note. What he's, is his purpose in the movie? Just to sort of be around Keanu? He's a scalper yeah. basically right. is, is what he is and he's lower than Keanu and Keanu's 
pretty damn low himself. But it's like his weaselly sidekick. And I love this guy because I love Deadwood. Yeah. Um, show's amazing. But he's also great in that film, The Sessions, with Helen Hunt. That's a great performance, but I mean, that's a overall a very good movie too but yeah he's I, I love his work wanted a little more out of him here too yeah just go see him in other stuff just don't watch him in this yeah you that's know. right yeah he I recommend his, his work just not this <laughs> I teach the movie Winter's Bone a lot in classes yeah and he plays her uncle in that movie the Jennifer Lawrence's Jennifer uncle, Lawrence's right? uncle yeah. and, she, and he is scary and scary good he's really menacing in that movie that was sort of the movie that rebroke him as a as a sort of leading allowed him to do more leading parts and, and broke her and broke her for sure yeah yeah but he's he's awfully good in that movie that movie's just very good overall yeah, i want to rewatch that i haven't seen it in a while it's really good it's like justified the movie kind of sort of and it, not look, really not th- this is this is what we are reduced to people talking about <laughs> other other movies that are better that these actors have been in and and it's and it's most of them so yeah Keanu movie we have coming up in a little while anyway is going to be Constantine and I definitely got a Constantine vibe off of because I have we've watched it for the Shia all of Shia. his movies mm-hmm. oh, but yeah. I, and I had seen that movie before but in that he's this he's this chain smoking bastard kind of yeah, guy yeah. Like, you know <laughs> and um, in the beginning of this movie he's like in the church and he's praying that the bulls will cover the spread and he's lighting up cigarettes and he's uh. you know drinking and chain smoking and putting his fist through windows and I'm like wow he's like he's gonna do this all over again in Constantine oh, much yeah. better <laughs> I totally forgot about that scene where he punches the car window and then headbutts the bar window <laughs> yes. that's insane yes, that's the yes. opening scene yes oh my oh. god like that set the precedent of the entire film it's like I hope you're ready for like cute kids mouthing off and playing ball because Keanu's <laughs> putting his head through the bar window <laughs> I did watch this movie over about a three hour span like I paused this and walked away a couple times so I'm like I just can't there's so much that happens sort of and also nothing that happens and it's one of those movies where i'm just like i don't like i just want, I, mean, I need to sit myself down and just <laughs> make myself watch this movie because there's nothing about it that made me want to come back because like keanu doesn't even want to be there so like watching for him why would i want that yeah i kind of tried to just power through it i mostly did it for the kids you know i tried to do it for them because <laughs> i do it for g baby but at least they lightened up the rest of the mood and for the time they're on screen i really actually thought even though they all sort of had like the same personalities like i really felt they were all good they all were charming and just i bought them as good kid actors and you know we got michael b jordan for crying out loud who's gonna grow up to be you know really good actors i i wonder if any of these other kids went on to do stuff i wish they stood out a little more to I recognize looked at everybody on imdb who had pictures and i think the only other kid who had a picture was g baby and he's the same age in the picture as he is in this movie wow. so i don't think he really went on to do anything else but we got Michael B. Jordan, like you said. So, I mean, he's the star of the best Rocky movie. So there we go. Mike and I just watched one. all of them like a month ago. Yeah, it's the best one. Toby, do you have anything else you want to say about this movie? God, no. Good. Mike? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> the next three episodes we're doing are The Animatrix, and then The Matrix Reloaded and Enter the Matrix, which was the Xbox PS2 game, and then The Matrix Revolution. So those are three good episodes in a row. We're going to have John Brooks back from the first Matrix episode. So lots of religion talk. Those are going to be three good ones. Then Tobin will be back for Something's Gotta Give. So there's good stuff coming up. And then we're going to hit this like weird, we've got a real weird stretch coming up where we've got documentaries, unauthorized documentaries, six-hour Buddhism thing, all sorts of weird stuff happening in the next 10 or 15 movies. So we're reaching the tail end of like a Hollywood stretch with these next 
four episodes, and then we get into this weird alt-movie scene, so that's just a preview of what's coming up on Keanu Club. Now, that sounds Mike, fascinating. Think... <laughs> no, it does. Gonna, it sounds, it sounds really it's good. It's going to be weird. I, don't, yeah. I hope it's good weird and not bad weird, but we, we'll see. Listen, even when even when the movies are weird or not good, this is a great podcast to listen to, so I'm, I'm excited <laughs> well, either way. Mike, did you think about what you want to say? No, I, I got nothing about this movie. <laughs> but after hearing you just now, I am looking forward to the next phase. Like, I'm not sure what's gonna really come after the Matrix. I mean, I know Constantine. I know a couple. I know some things, but I haven't seen a lot of this stuff. We're more than halfway done now, provided he doesn't release, you know, five movies this year. Like, if he doesn't go for cage numbers. But I'm excited because I really feel like I've seen less than more now going forward. After these Matrix films, it's like officially a whole new chapter. And as we record this, we're just a little bit over three weeks away. And I think as this releases, it's probably out in theaters now. This episode comes out Feb 17. So last Friday, when we released the Sweet November episode, John Wick Chapter 2 is in theaters. So really, I mean, through all the darkness that is the (laughs) midst of Keanu Club, that all these weird sort of not great movies that, I mean, the the hit to miss ratio is way worse here than it was for Cage, I feel. I'm just hoping that the tail end of the Keanu, starting with John Wick maybe, or maybe even a little bit before, we're going to be on like a little bit of an upswing because we know coming down the pipe we have john wick we have john wick chapter two we have the neon demon i mean we've got great great stuff coming up it's just a matter of getting there i think you might be surprised by some of this stuff you know to, to have seen him go through the go through this his sort of intense hollywood period and then sort of retreat into these odd strange independent or semi-independent films there's going to be uh, again this is obviously after this matrix stuff it's gonna i think it will be if nothing else it'll be interesting to watch certainly more interesting than this movie i hope so i mean it can't be worse <laughs> which is which is important Careful, careful. (laughs) It can be worse. It probably can be worse. I mean, I just edited the Watcher episode, so it it could be worse. It's been worse than this. (laughs) Tobin, thank you very much for joining us. I'm sorry that you have to watch this movie, but you picked it, so... Yeah, I chose it off the list. I feel bad about that. I'm looking at your list now. You you picked out 10 movies, and this was 10th on the list. So this was your last choice, but nobody else wanted it more than you, so... I chose it because, like I said, someone had told me along the way, I had this impression that it was actually a pretty good movie. Like, that's what I went into this into this expecting. So this was one of my ones on the list, like, oh, I should see that movie that I've always been told I should see, and I know I shouldn't have. Thank you very much for joining us, taking one for the team, <laughs> and we'll see you back in a couple episodes for Something's Gotta Give. Can't wait. So for all things Keanu Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can see all the episodes we've done. You know what's coming up next. So you can just sit on those pages and wait for the Animatrix to come out in seven days. Stay tuned because we've got some more Neo coming up. And Neo is great. Neo is the reason that we're doing this podcast, I think, or one of the big reasons anyway. And so we've got three more Matrix things in a row. So February should be pretty good. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Tobin Addington. And we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. That's the weak ass bullshit, you bitch ass motherfreaking busters.